it's a little bit like water going down a hill. You've got to, you know which direction you're headed, but you've got to follow the path and see sort of where it leads. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today, we continue our podcast series with Seth Goldman, Startup CPG's entrepreneur in residence, who is joining us once a month to talk hot topics in CPG. This episode is all about innovation. You may know Seth as the co-founder of Honest Tea and author of Mission in a Bottle. And Seth is now the co-founder and CEO of Eat the Change, co-founder of Plant Burger, and chair of the board for Beyond Meat. Listen in as Seth covers two approaches to innovation in food, how to balance taste and consumer feedback when innovating, tips for research and development on a small budget, and more. Hi, Seth. Welcome back to the show. How are you today? Good to be with you, Jesse. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk all things research and development, innovation. And so I'd love if you could start us off just telling us about the development of your initial products at Eat the Change and your thoughts on taste and being a climate-friendly brand. Just kind of give us an overview. I'd love it. Sure, sure. And, and let's take some big steps back to help answer that question. The first one is just, you know, why do we need to do this? What's the reason? And and so, you know, that really goes down to what motivates you to do it. And so for me, there's just uh, um, really pressing and dire issues that compel me to take an interest in this and be committed to this. And it's it's around you know what's happening to our environment about the fact that it is so out of balance our our food system is so out of balance and there's so many different ways to do that and can, so um, but obviously all mostly for me relating to climate change and we can get in, dig deep on that if we want but um, I actually I'm, I'm I'm putting out a blog about the same topic and so we can probably link to that when this podcast comes out but the other thing that's really compelling is that our health the health of our population is is so dire as well you know that despite the wealth and knowledge that has the United States has amassed um, we are one of the least healthy countries, um, certainly for our level of, of wealth. And so when you rank the life expectancy of all the countries in the world, despite the U.S. leading in so many categories, we actually rank in the low 30s, like 38th or 39th in average life expectancy, which is just sort of wow. mind boggling to think Yikes. about. So we have both, you know, our food system, the way it has evolved is threatening, you know, really um, threatening our existence as a species. Uh, and then the diet we've created for ourselves is certainly not helping us um, <laughs> live longer either. So so those for me are big motivators. And then, um, so then you get to, okay, well then how do you address it? And how do you try to change its direction? And to me, there are really two key paths of innovation. One of them is uh, the, a path that's embraced by companies like Beyond Meat, where they will use science and technology to kind of recreate some food categories. And so we call our, I call that the redoing of food, you know? So you'll see mm. obviously in a lot of the new dairy products, they're coming to plant-based alternatives to the animal-based. And obviously what Beyond Meat is doing, you know, plant-based meat alternatives. So that's a redoing of food. That's one path. And in order to innovate in that direction, you really are dependent on your science. You need really world-class um, or super creative um, scientists, whether they're in biology or physics, um, to just bring that knowledge um, to to the plant-based world. So that's one path. But the other path um, is an undoing of food. And that, that is something that has done both by a company like Honest Tea, but also by Eat the Change. And when we undo food is when we strip it down to super simple ingredients, transparent labels um, and sourcing. So authentic, you know, organic ingredients, uh, sometimes fair trade, so that the consumer has full visibility of the supply chain. And, and in order to innovate 
with the undoing of food, you still need creativity for sure. Um, the recipes usually aren't super complicated though, because you're talking about, um, you know, much less processing, usually, um, whole food ingredients and, but more creativity maybe around the way the ingredients are put together or in the way that the brand uh, comes to life and engages the consumer. And so those are two paths. And, and so obviously I have experience with both, but the, the latest enterprise, Eat the Change, is focused on the undoing of food as a way to innovate and bring out novel and nutritious and tasty. You have to check all three boxes to be effective. Right. That's great. And so how did you land on mushrooms as the, the first snack? Yeah, well, mushrooms, uh, what's neat about them is they are so, first of all, we know very little about them, but the more you learn, the more amazing they are. They are, um, they actually aren't plants. And, and I think it's very easy for people to assume they're just part of the plant kingdom. They're actually their own kingdom. So in fact, mushrooms are, are closer to animals in their nutritional makeup than they are to plants. Now, obviously they don't have a, they're not sentient creatures. They don't have a, 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 a conscience. Um, they certainly have a will to live, but that, you know, plants have that as well, but they don't feel pain the way that, um, you know, animals would. Um, and so what we learned about mushrooms is they are amazing in terms of their nutritional properties. But what's also exciting is that they are wonderful from a chef's perspective because they are in effect a blank canvas. They can absorb and take on flavors in a way that really few other ingredients can. So it was kind of this perfect combination of a super nutritional product with a chef's, you know, uh, really um, something he could, my co-founder Spike Mendelson could get excited about. Uh, and then the other thing that was neat as we dug deeper is we learned how environmentally efficient mushrooms are. They, they are super water efficient. They they don't use much water at all to grow a, a pound of mushrooms is, is um, really just really minimal, um, you know, demands sort of, you know, literally, um, you know, a tenth uh, or even less of what it takes to grow some of the other products. And so that's just really neat uh, to help sort of fit the profile of our brand. And um, and so the more and then we um, also worked out well that we had a wonderful partner um, as a mushroom supplier. I'd been um, on the board of Pennsylvania Certified Organic, and I got to know the folks at Phillips Mushrooms Farm, which is a family, fourth generation family farm in Pennsylvania. Um, and so when I got excited about mushrooms, uh, I knew who to turn to. And just to, get to follow up on that number, I mentioned that it takes 39 pounds of water to grow a pound of mushrooms. And that's in contrast to, you know, a pound of beef will take 1,800 pounds of water to, to grow a pound of beef, uh, even figs, which are, you know, um, a plant, plants, uh, figs take 10 times as much water to grow a pound of figs as it does to grow a pound of mushrooms. So you're, you know, just a really, and the other, and finally, the other nice aspect of mushrooms that helped us, helped appeal to us was that um, we could use the whole mushroom, the stem, uh, as well as the large or small mushroom, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, especially in produce sections, will look for the, you know, they don't want the bruised product or the oversized or undersized product or the misshapen product. And when you're making mushroom jerky, we, we take any, any you know, any, as long as obviously it's the, the kind of mushroom we want, um, it's all going to be good. There's, there's no spec to shape or um, sort of design you know, or, or, or uh, being a perfect shape. Yeah. And I'm curious how many different iterations it took to to land on the current line and what did it look like? Was it kind of spike in, in the kitchen yeah. cooking yeah. things up? And, and then how did you get feedback on taste to land right. on, you know, the right the right formula? So the key thing with um, innovation is to go as 
start as broad-minded as you can. For, um, you know, I said to Spike, you're a chef, think of the best recipes you've had in the world and use any ingredient you want, you know, um, to make, to, to create something. So don't, you know, no, create no limits at all initially. And so then Spike came up with literally over a dozen amazing recipes. I said, okay, these are, you know, and we sort of figured out which ones were good. I said, that's a great start. Now let's put some sort of uh, limits on, which is, first of all, um, obviously everything has to be organic. Everything has to be plant-based. So whether it's no butter or, you know, no, no, obviously animal products. And then we've added this other lens, which he'd never encountered before because at Eat the Change, we're committed to biodiversity. So I said, now I want you to make these same recipes, but uh, avoid using any of the six crops that represent over 57% of all agricultural production. And so that meant getting rid of no soy, no wheat, no rice, no potatoes, no sugar cane. And all of a sudden, Mm. I said, well, wait a minute, those ingredients are in everything. (laughs) And I said, exactly. And that's why we're going to avoid them. Um, And so that was like, he said, well, I guess that's a bit like the chef's basket at Top Chef. And fortunately, you know, yeah. <laughs> been on top chef. So it, it was, uh, but that's the way to, you know, to start is just make the most delicious ingredients possible. And then, and I found this with honesty as well. Then when you have to sort of put those constraints on it, you actually even get more creative, you know? So for example, we have a, I, um, we have a teriyaki ginger, but we can't use soy. Well, wait a minute. What do we do? Well, there's coconut aminos, there's other, you know, um, ingredients that replicate that. How do, you know, how do we do that? And so, um, sometimes these, these guardrails actually create innovations you hadn't expected, but, but, um, even better. So that's the next step, but it's really critical to start with as wide a, a lens as you can for starting. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I've seen you write about on your blog a little bit about being a climate friendly brand and how that often puts you at a disadvantage as far as what people expect on taste. And I was wondering right. if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. And that's why for us, we've always, we are certainly a climate friendly brand. It's at the center of what we are, but the messaging to the consumer has to be about taste. And, and uh, you know, it's totally fine with me if somebody buys our product and loves it and never knows all the things that uh, we're, we're doing in the background around climate, because that's not what the person hires us for. The consumer hires us to satisfy a hunger uh, or to nourish them. And that's our, that's job one. And we've got to do that. And we've got to do that well enough that they want to buy us again and again and again and give it to their friends and tell people about it. Um, if, if, if we get them in the door because of the environmental um, commitments, that's great. And they stay for, you know, the taste, that's fine too. But vice versa works as long as, but we've got to make sure we deliver on taste. We just can't overlook that part. Of it. Yeah, that makes sense. People will, People will say that they want to shop climate friendly, environmentally friendly, but then when the taste isn't there, they they will gravitate back toward their old tasty choices. (laughs) And as soon as you start talking about all the things you're doing for the environment, what the consumer hears is, oh, this means it doesn't taste good. Um, So you just got to be really careful on the messaging. Yeah. I'm also curious, I've, I've seen you write about this as well, about the the concept of finding the best taste when you're innovating versus something that tastes great and when best gets in the way of you know of great um right. and, and at honest tea you talked about that as well i'm curious if you could yeah. share about that that's that's a really um fascinating situation where uh yes we knew at honest tea that if you if we made our drinks uh sweeter they would taste better better for a sip but not necessarily better for a bottle um, because you know you're offering someone 16 ounces of, of something and so just um 
a sit test, you know, we might lose. But that's not how that's not the context in which people consume the drinks. And of course, it's also doesn't it's not consistent with their aspirations. So they they are trying to be um, more conscious of their calories. They want to have something that satisfies their taste demands, but doesn't uh, add to you know if they're trying to avoid calories. And so one of the interesting things with honest kids was that we knew parents wanted their kids to have less sugar. Um, and and so obviously, well, the, if, if that your, your first reaction is say, well, then give all the kids water. Well, kids don't like water because uh, all the time because it gets boring. <laughs> yeah. And so what honest kids really did uniquely was that it was it was just sweet enough that the kid liked it and wouldn't reject it. But the parent knew it was better. And so, you know, that there is a trade off there, but it's a trade off the consumer. That's when the consumer is willing to taste. I think where you probably have a more challenging time is if you say, you know, try this. It's not as good as the other products on the shelf, but you could get used to it or something like that. That, That's not the right messaging. Right. Yeah. And speaking of kids lines, you launched the Eat the Change kids line at Expo West. Can you tell us about the new line that came out? Yeah, this was such a fun innovation. And and, um, and it's good we're talking. I just mentioned Honest Kids because that was the inspiration for it. You know, we saw at Honest Tea that Honest Kids really resonated with parents. And so um, shortly after we launched the mushroom jerky, I challenged Spike. I said, okay, how can we create a snack for kids that's analogous to what Honest Kids was? So meaning something that the parent knows is better for the child, but the child is still excited about and can still enjoy and put in their lunchbox and feel like they're not, you know, making a sacrifice. And so, um, well, we said, we looked at the shelf and we realized there really aren't um, vegetable-based snacks for kids. Um, there's, there's, there's some fruit snacks or things that are called fruit snacks, but they're, they're not really healthy. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, there's like potato chips. I get, I don't even know, is a potato a vegetable? I mean, it, I, but it's, a, it's mostly starch, which me- means it doesn't have the same kind of nutrients that, a, you know, something like a carrot would have. And so, so I said to Spike as a first idea, let's see if we can make a chip, a carrot chip. So it, it looks and appears like a, a potato chip, but it's, you know, but it's actually made with carrots. If we could do that. I thought that would work well. So we did play around a lot with carrots. We got all types of different carrots in and we tried drying them out. We couldn't quite get the right taste and crisp. And so they were they were interesting, but they just weren't what we were hoping for. And then we had a bunch of carrots, you know, left over. And so um, we have a policy in the office, no, no food wasted, both, you know, sort of as a company, but even in the office. And so Spike said, well, let me play around with these carrots we have, see what else I can do with them. So instead of drying them out, he actually went the other way. He put some of the carrots in one of our marinades, um, you know, because we had the marinades from the mushrooms and then dried them out. And then they kind of got took on a chewy flavor. And that was interesting. It was a savory taste. He said, well, what if we actually make it a slightly sweet taste? And then we soaked them in apple juice concentrate and then flavored them like, wow, that's actually pretty interesting. And then we realized what we were doing was creating an alternative to what those um, is sold in that fruit snack shelf. Mm-hmm. And the more we looked at that fruit snack shelf, we realized these aren't fruit snacks at all. They call themselves fruit snacks because they're fruit flavored, but there's no fruit in there. There's no fiber. There's very little, there's certainly no natural vitamins. There's some, you know, some vitamins that might be added. And when we looked at our carrots and we said, wait a minute, these carrots, yes, they, they're, um, there's fruit juice in them, but basically the first ingredient, not basically the first ingredient in, in our fruit juice is carrots. And then the second ingredient in our um, product would be organic apple juice concentrate. We're like, wait, and, and you know, and then some flavoring. Basically three ingredients. So this is this is undoing of food in a very direct way. 
very, you know, the processing is just drying out. So there's the carrot, when you look at it, it looks like a, a looks like a dried carrot. And then it tastes fun. It's a fun chew. And uh, so we knew the parents would get excited about it because it is a full serving of carrots in every bag and it's an excellent source of vitamin A. And the kit could be fun if we could create some fun branding. And so we uh, got together, uh, you know, with our designers and we came up with the name Cosmic Carrot Chews. And and that's so fun because carrots actually look like little rocket ships. And then you take the green fronds as kind of the exhaust coming out of the carrot. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of fun imagery there. And of course, space and space exploration should be gender neutral. It, it, at least it, it, it has potential to be. So there's no, you know, we're not sort of saying this is a product for boys or girls. Um, and and uh, it's aspirational and, and it is forward looking and it totally fits with our, our theme of snack to the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we're really excited with the response we've gotten to this product. And of course, uh, also as going back to my earlier comments, it turns out carrots are even more water efficient than mushrooms. So where where a mushroom takes 39 pounds of water um, to, uh, or 39 gallons of water to create uh, a pound of mushrooms, uh, carrots only require 23 gallons. So one of the most water efficient crops out there and, um, you know, grown organic and and certainly um, able to be grown in the United States as well. So we're really uh, thrilled with this launch and uh, excited to see, you know, we're getting lots of retailer approvals and just, you know, want to see how the consumers respond. Yeah. I'm curious during the R&D process, you know, since it's a kid's line, are you are you sending it home with employees, kids or how do you how are you getting feedback from, you know, from the kids market? Yeah, lots of tasting for sure. But this is an important piece to keep in mind on innovation is that, you know, you 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 are it's unlikely to get um, these ideas from the market. Right. So when you go to uh, either to parents or kids, in fact, uh, this is kind of an interesting little backstory. When I was at um, Honest Tea and we were launching Honest Kids with a lot of national restaurant chains, there were many chains that said, oh, we would love to have an honest snack. Could you make us one? And, and I said, what do you have in mind? So, well, Maybe that you could you make like a fruit chew with maybe less calories. And so you might hear that request, but that is just kind of, uh, you know, so let's say the average fruit chew box has 80 calories and we made one with 70 calories or even 60 calories. It's still going to be the kind of crappy ingredients. Yeah. So um, it's really important to, to, you know, not look at the existing landscape for your inspiration because you'll then you're just going to sort of make a lateral or, you know, uh, per, you know, lateral move. You're not going to create a totally new category. And, um, you know, it's funny when we when we were doing um, launching Honest Kids with the um, Minute Maid team, which is part of Coca-Cola, they were going to um, distribute Honest Kids and they did a fabulous job. But when we were getting ready, they came to me one day, very serious looks and said, you know, we did, we did some research um, with Honest Kids. We, we served it to um, a bunch of kids alongside other products and Honest Kids was not the favorite product. And I said, boy, you just wasted your time. I could have told you that. I, I, I know that. Um, that. And that's by design. Honest Kids is less sweet. It's not a question of whether the kid chooses Honest Kids first. It's a question of will the kid drink it and be satisfied? And for that, the answer is yes. You know, and, and, and so it's really neat to see how Honest Kids now has out, you know, is, is certainly the largest, um, you know, pouched uh, drink, you know, in that, in their offering. And, and so, so, but you, you, there's only so much you can learn from the consumer. And so the key is, you know, does it taste good? Will the kid like it? And, and, you know, is the, are the messages and flavor profiles appealing? 
And so, yes, we definitely got some feedback from kids and from parents, but that only goes so far. I, I wouldn't use that. I would use that as, as guidelines and feedback. I would not use that as the um, direction for innovation. Yeah, that's a really great point because I think it you can go down the wrong trail really easily, kind oh, of just yeah. darting around with every consumer's different feedback. Yeah. It, reminds, it reminds me a little bit of like the like the camera industry before smartphones, everybody's just like, we got to make the best, fanciest cameras in the world. We'll just keep innovating cameras better, 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 better. Right. You know, And then all of a sudden somebody goes, you know, what if we just put a little crappy camera in a smartphone and people are <laughs> like, you know what? That's good enough. I'm going to do that. And the camera industry is like, wait, why did we do all this innovation if all you wanted was a little crappy camera in your phone? And so- I think That's it's one right. of those things you ask the consumer and they don't they don't actually know what they want. They can't tell you what the right next step oh, is. Or the classic line Henry Ford would say, you know, if, if we had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horse carriages, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. yeah, that makes sense. And I'm curious on timings of product launches, because this is something that, you know, we've we thought about at Libbar too, of how do you time a launch? You chose to launch the kids line at Expo West. I'm curious if you think that, you know, it's it generally is a good practice to try to launch a new line with a trade show? Can you launch other time of years? What kind of things do you take into consideration? Well, one important consideration is when retailers have their reset windows. And so that's certainly something you try to keep in mind. I, you know, the big companies have a whole stages and gates process where they literally, you know, it's an 18 month window. And it's once you start, you, you, you go through all these different gates and sort of approval processes to bring it to market. And, and, uh, so that's what big companies do. And it's one reason they're slow and cumbersome and, and, and rarely sort of break out with innovation. The, the entrepreneurs, uh, we just have to scramble and it's kind of a perpetual scramble. We get these things out as quickly as we can. We try to be super aggressive with timeframes. It usually doesn't happen as quickly as you hope. But um, it certainly happens, you know, uh, so I would say for us, if we bring something out from start to idea to uh, commercialization within six months, that's ideal. We don't, uh, we, we try to take into account when the windows of the retailers are, but, you know, you want to be able to bring it out at a show because when you go to these shows, people always say, what's new? That's, that's what they're interested in. That's why they go to the show. If they, if they just wanted to see what's existing in the market, they can just walk into a grocery store. They don't need yeah. to walk the floor of a show. So. You do want to have new things to show at an at a, um, expo like Expo West. But, you know, I, I, I just it's especially under sort of this we're still in a covid supply chain world. And so it's just hard to, you know, have a super tight time frame and stick to it. And and, and then, you know, there's also the process with innovation where you have sort of your your you have a, a, a product ready for um, retail, but of course the first production run isn't going to be as good as the second and third. And so you just, you know, keep evolving it. And, but hopefully, um, as you, so you'll find some retailers who will work with you at launch, which is great. And you really want to invest in them. And then over time, hopefully your product's getting better as well. And so by the time you really are looking to launch at a scale, you've perfected your margins and your production and, and packaging and all that too. Right. Yeah. And do you think there's a certain cadence for releasing new products like that or, or that even that you are going to shoot for with an eat the change that people need to keep in mind? You know, if you don't come out with a new product for two years, is that problematic? Do you think brands should be kind of coming out with new products on a consistent basis well, is a goal? You always want to be innovating and, and sometimes innovating means uh, improving your existing products. So you always want to be challenging yourself to do better, but but it is important to be focused as well. And there's plenty of companies that have come out and maybe they didn't 
launched their first product well. And so then they tried the second and third and they start discontinuing things and they lose focus. So, you know, what we've always said is we, we can't bring out another product until we demonstrate the viability of, of you know, the one we, that's, that's on the market. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's funny. I was, we were just talking to someone about a trade show and they said, well, what are you going to launch? You know, and I'm like, we're going to focus on the carrots. Like this is our innovation. Obviously the mushrooms, are, but this is the first time we've had the mushrooms at expo, at any natural product expo. So we've got to make sure people see those too. You know, mm-hmm. and the mushrooms are, they've been out for a year, but they haven't been at an expo before. So when someone says what's new, well, mushrooms and carrots are both uh, new to that community. And we certainly want to do right by them. So I think the, it doesn't, there doesn't have to be a, a time frame where, you know, one company is not going to, one size isn't going to fit every company, but do make sure that um, you're always challenging yourself to both improve what you have. And, and I think everyone has to recognize that it's rare that your first product line, rarely will you get the first product line be the one that brings you to the promised land, right? You've got to, mm. you've got to continue to evolve it and also sort of think about how, how to improve it and whether it's the packaging, the taste branding, all of these things, everything has to be up for grabs um, as long as it sort of fits your what your your brand promises. Right. And what recommendations do you have for brands that are either, you know, they're coming up with their first product, they're adding another product. We have a lot of people in the Slack community that are, you know, looking for help on R&D or navigating mm-hmm. the process. And a lot of times they have a yeah. really tight budget. What you know tips do you have for them? Yeah, it's interesting. There's so many different ways to do it. So part of it depends on what your approach is. If you are in the redoing of food, you're going to need scientists to help. And so one really good place to go, and this even applies to going back to Beyond Meat's origins, a lot of universities have these centers of commercialization or sci- applied sciences where they um, basically, they're land-grant school, so they're a lot of funding to explore agriculture. And that was that was some of the science that was at the University of Missouri, which Ethan Brown was able to license to help create Beyond Meat. So do explore. So for example, let's say you're working, you have an interest in a particular crop. Let's say you want to do something with corn. Well, I, I don't know all of that's there at the University of Iowa, but I know that's a huge corn growing state. And uh, I guarantee you there's all types of innovative innovations around corn um, at that university. And so a lot of these, um, this innovation is available to be licensed or to, to play with. So that's a great place for the redoing of food. On the undoing of food, there you've got to, you know, I would say find some really creative chefs or do some of your own creative cooking in the kitchen or think about, you know, is there a home recipe you've used that's really novel? What I, what I would not a favor of is just saying, oh, I've got a great salsa Everyone loves my salsa more than anybody else's. So I'm going to go bring that to market because it's such a competitive market for salsa. And if you don't have some kind of novel ingredient or novel approach or amazing branding, um, you're just going to get it lost in the, you know, the lost in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And do you have any, you've shared a couple, do you have any other stories about new product launches or line extensions at Honesty, either good or bad or? <laughs> um, well, yeah, we've certainly had some that didn't click. We had a, uh, we had a really interesting innovation around cacao. So we had a, um, we were working with a, a supplier that had a lot of cacao and we were able to make it into a liquid, but and it wasn't clear. So it was kind of a tea it was we would take the cacao, spin out the fat. And so it had a kind of chocolatey hint, but it wasn't chocolate. And so the, the 
challenge for the retailer was, well, it, what, where do we merchandise this? Because is it a chocolate drink? No, no, it's not exactly a chocolate drink. Well, is it a, is it a coffee drink? Well, maybe it's an alternative to coffee. Is it a tea? Well, it's kind of like a, it's like a cacao tea. And, the, and so as a result, the retailers didn't know exactly where to put it or, or where to merchandise it. And the consumer, in, in, in the consumer's mind, didn't know exactly how to think about it. You know, is it a drink? Should I have it in the morning? Or, you know, and it was kind of an interesting taste, but it didn't have any natural place to go on the shelf. Whereas, you know, when we brought out a tea, people knew exactly, even if it was an herbal tea, they knew it would go, it was in the same bottle, had the same name and price point. And so even, um, you know, successful brands are not assured success when they innovate into adjacent categories. If the, you know, A, the product doesn't taste great and B, the consumer and the retailer don't understand um, what the occasion is when they would be consuming it. Right. Yeah. And kind of going back to even the kids line launch, what are some of the other considerations when you're launching? So, you know, say you're you're launching it a show. That's awesome. That's a huge piece. But what are some of the other pieces you think about? Is it press or um, sure. events or what are some of the other things that surround a launch that you also think about and brands should consider? Yeah, you definitely have to think about, you want to get attention. And so you want to be able to talk about why this is the first of what it is, right? You don't want to just be in the me too area of um, products because innovation is rewarded. Copycatting is, is not. Um, and I mean, rewarded in terms of it gets attention. And so making sure you get the chance to share this and help people understand why it's different and that it shouts that out. Also think about the packaging too. You know, we knew, so for us, we knew Eat the Change, uh, which of course is our overall brand, but it wasn't like this was an established brand that was going to win a bunch of new people. Whereas like Honest Tea had already been established. So Honest Kids, parents were able to understand pretty clearly what it is. So our cosmic carrot chews, we didn't go call them eat the change kit chews, or we, we really went first with cosmic carrot chews because we had to introduce a fun new brand to people. We couldn't rely on eat the change to be the umbrella yet. So yes, that's on the package for sure. And, and over time we'll build that, but we couldn't lead with eat the change as the way to make this appealing to uh, young kids. Right. Yeah. Any other kind of Final thoughts on R&D and innovation for, for brands before we, we close out? Well, I think it's always nice when you can, uh, you know, there are stunts that we've done over time. You know, I remember in, uh, when we were launching Honesty early on, we went to Boston Harbor and we, we ceremoniously poured sugar. We didn't pour it in the harbor. We poured it into a little pool by the harbor. <laughs> sort of, you know, evocative of the tea party to show, you know, why we were, it didn't get all that much attention, but, you know, Helping illustrate to people what we're about makes sense. And so, you know, I don't think we're going to be out there um, trashing fruit snacks, but it, it certainly is worth highlighting the fact that there is no fruit and fruit snacks. And so what what's going on with that whole category is kind of um, dishonest. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to, to highlight those differences so it's clear to the consumer and the buyers, the exactly. where you fit, where you're different, what you're replacing or. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Do you have any you, you mentioned, you know, kind of nailing the next product launch before adding, you know, adding another line. Do you have any lines, more lines in mind for Eat the Change, or are you focused on the the carrots and the mushrooms for now? We have lots of innovations we've identified, but what we've got to do is make sure this one works. And we've got to also learn, you know, what is the appeal of this? Is it the taste or is it the texture? Or is it the ingredient? And that'll help inform which direction our next innovation goes, right? Because it may be, hey, we need to double down on carrots, or maybe, well, it's the right idea, but we want a different vegetable. Um, or, well, it actually turns out adults like this a lot, you know? So 
So you've got to, it's a little bit like water going down a hill. You've got to, you know which direction you're headed, but you've got to follow the path and see sort of where it leads. Great. Yeah. Well, excited to, to continue to, to follow the new line launch and glad you could join us today to talk through this topic. And then we'll be back next month with you to talk more things, sustainability and Earth Month, which you kind of hinted oh, at yeah. earlier. So super excited for that. So thanks for being here today and excited for next time. Sure, Jesse. Look forward to it. Thanks for joining us. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by the Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.